section twenty three of a compendious history of english literature and of the english language volume one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org a compendious history of english literature and of the english language volume one by george lilly Crake. chapter three part five history of the english metrical romance although however it thus appears that a very considerable body of our early romantic poetry has now been made generally accessible it is to be observed that only a small proportion of what has been printed is derived from manuscripts of even so early a date as the fourteenth century and that many of the volumes which have just been enumerated are merely re-impressions of compositions which cannot be traced at least in the form in which we have them beyond the sixteenth of the undoubted produce of the thirteenth century in this kind of writing we have very little if we except the romances of king horn sir tristram havelock and sir gawain with perhaps two or three others in ritson and weber it is probable indeed that many of the manuscripts of later date are substantially transcripts from earlier ones but in such cases even when we have the general form of the poems as first written tolerably well preserved the language is almost always more or less modernized the history of the english metrical romance appears shortly to be that at least the first examples of it were translations from the french that there is no evidence of any such having been produced before the close of the twelfth century that in the thirteenth century were composed the earliest of those we now possess in their original form that in the fourteenth the english took the place of the french metrical romance with all classes and that this was the era alike of its highest ascendancy and of its most abundant and felicitous production that in the fifteenth it was supplanted by another species of poetry among the more educated classes and had also to contend with another rival in the prose romance but that nevertheless it still continued to be produced although in less quantity and of an inferior fabric mostly indeed if not exclusively by the mere modernization of older compositions for the use of the common people and that it did not altogether cease to be read and written till after the commencement of the sixteenth from that time the taste for this earliest form of our poetical literature at least counting from the norman conquest lay asleep in the national heart till it was reawakened in our own day by scott after the lapse of three hundred years but the metrical romance was then become quite another sort of thing than it had been in its proper era throughout the whole extent of which while the story was generally laid in a past age the manners and state of society described were notwithstanding in most respects those of the poets and of his readers or hearers own time this was strictly the case with the poems of this description which were produced in the thirteenth fourteenth and fifteenth centuries and even in those which were accommodated to the popular taste of a later day much more than the language had to be partially modernized to preserve them in favour when this could no longer be done without too much violence to the composition or an entire destruction of its original character the metrical romance lost its hold of the public mind and was allowed to drop into oblivion there had been very little of mere antiquarianism in the interest it had inspired for three centuries it had pleased principally as a picture or reflection of manners usages and the general spirit of society still existing or supposed to exist and this is perhaps the condition upon which any poetry must ever expect to be extensively and permanently popular we need not say 
that the temporary success of the metrical romance as revived by scott was in great part owing to his appeal to quite a different almost an opposite state of feeling we give no specimens of our early english metrical romances because no extracts such as we could afford room for from one or two of them could do much or almost anything to convey a notion of the general character of these compositions although written in verse they are essentially not so much poems as histories or narrative works at least what poetry is in them lies almost always in the story rather than in anything else the form of verse is manifestly adopted chiefly as an aid to the memory in their recitation even the musical character which the romance poetry is supposed originally to have had if it ever was attempted to be maintained in long compositions of this description which it is difficult to believe appears very early to have been abandoned hence when reading became a more common accomplishment and recitation fell into comparative disuse the verse came to be regarded as merely an impediment to the free and easy flow of the story and was by general consent laid aside such being the case it is easy to understand that an old metrical romance is hardly to be better represented by extracts than an architectural structure would be by a bit of one of the walls even the more ornamented or animated passages derive most of their effect from the place they occupy or the connection in which they stand with the rest the only way therefore of exhibiting any of these compositions intelligibly or fairly is to print the whole or at the least if only portions of the story are produced in the words of the original to give the rest of it somewhat abridged it may be in modern language this latter method has been very successfully followed by ellis and his specimens which work will be found to take a general survey of nearly the whole field of fiction with which our early english metrical romances are conversant another thing to be observed of these compositions is that they are in very few cases ascribed to any particular writer nor have they in general any such peculiarity of style as might mark and distinguish their authorship a few only may be accounted exceptions among them the romance of tristram and if so we may understand what robert de brun means when he appears to speak of its english as strange and quaint but usually their style is merely that of the age in which they were written they differ from one another in short rather in the merit of the story itself than by anything in the manner of telling it the expression and the rhyme are both for the most part whatever comes first to hand the verse irregular and rugged enough withal is kept in such shape and order as it has by a crowd of tautologies expletives and other blank phrases serviceable only for filling up a gap and is altogether such verse as might apparently be almost improvised or chanted extempore these productions therefore are scarcely to be considered as forming any part of our literature properly so called interesting as they are on many accounts for the warm and vigorous imagination that often revels in them for their vivid expression of the feelings and modes of thought of a remote age for the light they throw upon the history of the national manners and mind and even of the language in its first rude but bold essays to mimic the solemnities of literary composition metrical chronicle of, of robert of gloucester nearly what biography is to history are the metrical romances to the versified chronicle of robert of gloucester a narrative of british and english affairs from the time of brutus to the end of the reign of henry the third which from events to which it alludes must have been written after twelve ninety seven all that is known of the author is that he was a monk of the abbey of gloucester his chronicle was printed faithfully i dare say says turbot but from incorrect manuscripts by herne in two volumes octavo at oxford in seventeen twenty four and a reimpression of this edition was produced at london in eighteen ten the work in the earlier part of it may be considered a free translation of geoffrey of monmouth's latin history 
but it is altogether a very rude and lifeless composition this rhyming chronicle says wharton is totally destitute of art or imagination the author has clothed the fables of geoffrey of monmouth in rhyme which have often a more poetical air in geoffrey's prose tyrwhit refers to robert of gloucester in proof of the fact that the english language had already acquired a strong tincture of french wharton observes that the language of this writer is full of saxonisms and not more easy or intelligible than that of what he calls the norman saxon poems of king horn and others which he believes to belong to the preceding century robert of gloucester's chronicle as printed is in long lines of fourteen syllables which however are generally divisible into two of eight and six and were perhaps intended to be so written and read the language appears to be marked by the peculiarities of west country english ample specimens are given by wharton and ellis we shall not encumber our limited space with extracts which are recommended by no attraction either in the matter or manner we will only transcribe as a sample of the language at the commencement of the reign of edward i and for the sake of the curious evidence it supplies in confirmation of a fact to which we have more than once had occasion to draw attention the short passage about the prevalence of the french tongue in england down even to this date more than two centuries after the conquest thus come low angolanda into normanna's honda on the normans ne cutha speca though bota her oa specha and speca french as duda atem and here children duda also tetcha so that haman of this land that of her blood come holdeth alla falca specca that he of hem nama vorbata aman kutha franch me tolf of him well luta aklo men holdeth to inglis and to her kunda specca uta ik wena there be na man in world contraeus nana that he holdeth to her kunda specha but angerland ona ac well me wat vor to kana botha well it is vor the mora vata man come the mora worth he is that is literally thus low england came into the hand of the normans and the normans could not speak then but their own speech and spoke french as they did at home and their children did also teach so that high men of this land that of their blood come retain all the same speech that they of them took for unless a man know french one talketh of him little but low men hold to english and to their natural speech yet i imagine there be no people in any country of the world that do not hold to their natural speech but in england alone but well i wot it is well for to know both for the more that a man knows the more worth he is a short composition of robert of gloucester's on the martyrdom of thomas Becker was printed by the percy society in eighteen forty five robert manning or de brune along with this chronicle may be mentioned the similar performance of robert manning otherwise called robert de brune from his birthplace brune or born near depping or market deeping in lincolnshire belonging as it does to a date not quite half a century later the work of robert de brun is in two parts both translated from the french the first coming down to the death of cadwallader from wace's brute the second extending to the death of edward i from the french or romance chronicle written by piers or peter de langtoff a canon regular of st austin at bridlington in yorkshire 
who has been mentioned in a former page and who appears to have lived at the same time with de brune langtoft whose chronicle though it has not been printed is preserved in more than one manuscript begins with brutus but de brune for sufficient reasons it is probable preferred race for the earlier portion of the story and only took to his own countrymen and contemporary when deserted by his older norman guide it is the latter part of his work however which owing to the subject has been thought most valuable or interesting in modern times it has been printed by hearn under the title of peter langtoft's chronicle as illustrated and improved by robert of brunn from the death of cadwallader to the end of king edward the first's reign transcribed and now first published from a manuscript in the inner temple library two volumes octavo oxford seventeen twenty five reprinted london eighteen ten this part like the original french of langtoft is in alexandrine verse of twelve syllables the earlier part which remains in manuscript is in the same octosyllabic verse in which its original wace's chronicle is written the work is stated in a latin note at the end of the manuscript to have been finished in thirteen thirty eight written bibliographia poetica page thirty three is very wroth with wharton for describing de brune as having scarcely more poetry than robert of gloucester which only proves ritson says his want of taste or judgment it may be admitted that de brune's chronicle exhibits the language in a considerably more advanced state than that of gloucester and also that he appears to have more natural fluency than his predecessor his work also possesses greater interest from his occasionally speaking in his own person and from his more frequent expansion and improvement of his french original by new matter before poetry it would probably require a taste or judgment equal to ritson's own to detect much of it it is in the prologue prefixed to the first part of his chronicle that the famous passage occurs about the romance of sir tristram its strange or quaint english and its authors thomas and ursuldoon assumed to be the same person in kendale which has given rise to so much speculation and controversy de brune is also the author of two other rhyming translations one of the latin prose treatise of his contemporary the cardinal bonaventura de senna at passione domini at poenus s mariae virginis which title he converts into meditations of the supper of our lord de jesu and also of his passion and acre of the painus of his suite modern maiden maria the other a very free paraphrase of what has commonly been described as the manual du peche or manual of sin of bishop grostet but is in fact the work with the same title written by william de waddington copious extracts from these and also from other translations of which it is thought that de brune may possibly be the author are given by wharton who if he has not sufficiently appreciated the poetical merits of this writer has at any rate awarded him a space which ought to satisfy his most ardent admirers roll or hampole davy other obscure writers in verse of the earlier part of the fourteenth century were richard roll often called richard hampole or of hampole a hermit of the order of st augustine who lived in or near the nunnery of hampole four miles from doncaster and after his death in eighteen forty nine was honoured as a saint and who is the author or reputed author of various metrical paraphrases of parts of scripture and other prolix theological effusions all of which that are preserved ritson has enumerated seventeen of them slumber in manuscript and are not likely to be disturbed and adam davy who rather preceded roll being reckoned the only poet belonging to the reign of edward the second and to whom are also attributed a number of religious pieces preserved only in one manuscript much damaged in the bodleian besides the metrical romance of the life of alexander 
of which two copies exist one in the bodleian the other in the library of lincoln's inn but there is every reason for believing that this last-mentioned work which is printed in weber's collection under the title of king alessander and is one of the most spirited of our early romances is by another author there is no ground for assigning it to davy except the circumstance of the bodleian copy being bound up with his visions legends scripture histories and other much more pious than poetical lucubrations and its style is as little in his way as its subject lawrence meynot putting aside the authors of some of the best of the early metrical romances whose names are generally or universally unknown perhaps the earliest writer of english verse who deserves the name of a poet is lawrence meynot who lived and wrote about the middle of the fourteenth century and of the reign of edward the third his ten poems in celebration of the battles and victories of that king preserved in the cotton manuscript galba e nine which the old catalogue had described as a manuscript of chaucer the compiler having been misled by the name of some former proprietor richard chaufer inscribed in the volume were discovered by tyrwhitt while collecting materials for his edition of the canterbury tales in a note to the essay on the language and versification of chaucer prefixed to which work their existence was first mentioned this was in seventeen seventy five in seventeen eighty one some specimens of them were given out of their chronological place by wharton in the third volume of his history of poetry finally in seventeen ninety six the whole were published by ritson under the title of poems written anno thirteen hundred and fifty two by lawrence minot with introductory dissertations on the scottish wars of edward the third on his claim to the throne of france and notes in glossary octavo london and a reprint of this volume appeared in eighteen twenty five of the two hundred and fifty pages or thereby of which it consists only about fifty are occupied by the poems which are ten in number their subjects being the battle of halidon hill fought thirteen thirty three the battle of bannockburn thirteen fourteen or rather the manner in which that defeat sustained by his father had been avenged by edward the third edward's first invasion of france thirteen thirty nine the sea fight in the swine or zvin thirteen forty the siege of tournay the same year the landing of the english king at la hogue on his expedition in thirteen forty six the siege of calais the same year the battle of neville's cross the same year the sea fight with the spaniards off winchelsea thirteen fifty and the taking of the gisness thirteen fifty two it is from this last date that ritson somewhat unwarrantably assumes that all the poems were written in that year as they are very various in their form and manner it is more probable that they were produced as the occasions of them arose and therefore that they ought rather to be assigned to the interval between thirteen thirty three and thirteen fifty two they are remarkable if not for any poetical qualities of a high order yet for a precision and selectness as well as a force of expression previously so far as is known unexampled in english verse there is a true martial tone and spirit too in them which reminds us of the best of our old heroic ballads while it is better sustained and accompanied with more refinement of style than it usually is in these popular and anonymous compositions as a sample we will transcribe the one on edward's first expedition to france omitting a prologue which is in a different measure and modernizing the spelling where it does not affect the rhyme or rhythm edward our comely king in bra band has his warning with many comely knight and in that land truly to tell ordains he still for to dwell to time he think to fight now god that is of mighty's mast grant him grace of the holy ghast his heritage to win and marry mutter of mercy free save our king and his many for our sorrow shame and sin thus in brabant has he been where he before was seldom seen for to prove their japes 
now no longer will he spare but unto france fast will he fare to comfort him with grapes forth he fared into france god save him from mischance and all his company the noble duke of Brabant, with him went into that land ready to live or die then the rich flower de lice won there for little price fast he fled for feared the right heir of that country is coming with all his knights free to shake him by the beard sir philip the valets with his men in those days to battle had he thought he bade his men them purvey without languor delay but he ne held it not he brought folk full great one i seven against one that full well weaponed were but soon when he heard a scry that king edward was near thereby then durst he not come near in that morning fell a mist and when our englishmen it wist to change all their cheer our king unto god made his boon and god sent him good comfort soon the weeder wex full clear our king and his men held the field stalworthy with spear and shield and thought to win his right with lords and with knightes keen and other doughty men by deen that war full freck to fight when sir philip of france heard tell that king edward in field walled dwell then gained him no glee he trasted of no better boot boat both on horse and on foot he hastened him to flee it seemed he was feared for strokes when he did fell his greater oaks about his pavilion abated was then all his pride for languor there durst he not bide his boast was brought all down the king of beam had cares cold that was full hardy and bold a steed to um stride he and the king alls of navern war fair feared in the fern their heavens for to hide and leave us well it is no lie and field hat la flee that king edward was in with princes that were stiff and bold and dukes that were doughty told in battle to begin the princes that were rich on raw girt nakers strike and trumpets blaw and made mirth at their might both a blast and many a bow war ready railed upon a row and full fret for to fight gladly they gave meat and drink so that they sold the better swink the white men that there were sir philip of france fled for doubt and hide him home with all his rout coward god give him care for there then had the lily flower lorn all haley his an hour that so gat fled for feared boat our king edward come full still when that he trod no harm him till and keeped him in the beard End of section twenty three